0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to PodcastJuice.net. My name is Michael Dean. You're listening to the Podcast on Prince. And joining me today, uh, we got a special guest here, Mr. Hucky Austin. Hucky, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? I'm blessed, man. I, I can't complain. And if I did, it wouldn't matter no way. So yeah, <laughs> keep right, <it> pushing. Man. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Hucky is uh, there's, there's a term that you use, executive protection?
1: Yeah, that, it's, it's a fancy term or the term that we use in our industry for bodyguard. so, bodyguards.
0: So um, it's executive protection
1: or close protection.
0: Okay, uh, some some way I would say back in my neighborhood, we say uh, muscle in the window, that's my mans in them who got my <laughs> back back there. You know, that, that nigga over there, you, know, you don't want messing. So we, 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 we always appreciate that aspect of the culture you know, that whole, I'm sure bodyguards definitely date back to different things, but you know, I always looked at bodyguards was, like I said, that was your people's, like, yo, there's somebody here that got your back that's looking out for you, and I can only imagine what that was like, you know, uh, you uh, working with Prince, and I'm talking about the years, like, you know, I would say the golden era of Prince, you know, where a lot of us came up on Prince, you were with Prince, like, In the 80s, right? Yeah, I
1: started actually in, uh, I wanna say, man, the spring of 1983, and I stayed until 1991. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I had
0: a nice little run there for a minute. Yes, sir. Well, man, um, let's just dial it back, man, because there's some things I've heard, and I know some things some fans heard, but let's see if we can get some real understanding and, and get your story. Like, so where are you from, actually? Like, are you from Minneapolis or are you from somewhere else? Well, I am pretty much a Minneapolisan.
1: Uh, I was originally born, though, in Kansas City, Missouri. And so my mother was a single mother and um, she had two children at the time, I being one of them. And she wanted something different for her kids. And so she uh, she moved us up to Minneapolis and we stayed with my with my grandfather. But I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri, and we came up in the late 60s. So, but I've been in Minneapolis long enough, Michael, that this is definitely my home. And
0: uh, yeah. So did you like, you went to school and all that in Minneapolis? Yep, I went to school here
1: and um, went to college here and uh, continue to make this my home even to this day. Now, some would say you were totally crazy because I just looked at the weather last week and it was (laughs) 20 below without any wind chill. And to those individuals, I would say, yeah, I think I am a little nuts. But uh, yeah, I still make Minneapolis my home.
0: That's what's up. Now, going to school and coming up in that environment, you said in the so you would have been like in the uh, late sixties, seventies. Oh, I'm a not bit more about that
1: though. I was a
0: baby man with my okay, mom. Okay, I, 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 like,
1: <laughs> I was like, man, Michael trying to date me
0: big time, man. Trying to get your OG status. It's all right. Yeah, a real OG, right? <laughs> Triple.
1: This is the wrong show. You got to get Alan and Craig on for the numbers, man. <laughs> No, so, but I, I, I graduated from high school in 1981. Now, there's probably oh, okay, okay. some people in your in your, in your your uh, audience that will say, well, man, you still won't graduate in 81.
0: <laughs> so. No, So 81, okay, so you was like the old, for me, you would have been the older cats uh, yeah, okay. that came through. Okay, so coming through that, um, I'm curious, and we'll get into how you started working with Prince, but I'm just curious, had you had already heard of Prince at this time because he was just kind of coming out and
1: yeah man i remember michael i was in ninth grade um and uh this girl was playing his uh, his his uh, his For You album. I was like, who is that? Who's that girl singing? And she said, it's a boy, and his name is Prince, and he is awesome. And so I'm like, okay. So I think that was like 79. So I was mm-hmm. aware of who he was, but you know, it really wasn't my style of music, man. I was into like Earth, Wind & Fire, Cameo, Confunction and Slave. So okay. that was my groove. Okay. That's who I listened to. I didn't I didn't really start appreciating Prince's music till a little bit later on. Now, I, I knew who he was and I thought his stuff was OK, but it just wasn't my groove.
0: Interesting. OK, so um, and also at this time or during these times, did you already know uh, Brown Mark?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Me and Mark have been uh, partners since like elementary school, man. So okay. I first met Mark when I was in fourth grade. So he's been
0: my boy for a while. Yeah, also like kind of like day one. Homies, yeah, like been for okay. sure. Okay, and I remember now reading his book, and he does mention you a lot in the book. Uh, it sounds like y'all had some adventures back then, man. to say the least.
1: <laughs> I told him, and I said, don't put everything on me. You got to come back with a book number two now. And uh, but yeah, man, we, you know, we had some great times, man. Um, and we'll get into a little bit more of that, but that was one of the the, the most amazing things uh, to have the privilege of working with P was to be able to. Um, to travel and do all these cool things. And so yeah. I got some wonderful
0: memories. When you um so in that early time, did did you have any thoughts at that early time that you'd be doing you'd be the bodyguard or, or doing any of that type of work? Security? No
1: man, and it's funny you should say that. So Mark had already got hired by Prince. Mm-hmm. And so he would occasionally bring me out to rehearsals. And uh at the time Prince had a bodyguard that everybody knows, Charles Big Chick Huntsbury, mm. and so Chick and I got to be really good friends, man. Um, and he says to me one day, he says, um, he says, well, why don't you, um, why don't you uh, consider doing this line of work? And I told him, Mike, I said, man, because I, I was in college, I was a freshman in college, and I was playing football. I said, man, I, I'm going to be a professional football player. That's my calling. That's what I wanted to do. Mm. So this cat looks at me and says, you're not. You're never going to be a professional football player. I say, why is that? He said, because you're too slow. I was like, what? I said, how do you know that by just looking at me, man, that I'm too <laughs> slow? And he's like, I tell you what. He said, you give it some thought. Think about it. And uh, if you want to do this, you know, because they were getting ready to go on the 1999 tour. So one of the things that I've always wanted to do that's been intriguing to me is travel. And so I was like, that would be kind of cool. And he even started having me doubt myself. I was like, well, maybe I am too slow. Interesting. But uh, man, I didn't know anything about executive protection. I didn't know anything about the industry. and And certainly even now from where I'm at today, when I think about when I first got into the industry, you know, and what I've learned is, it's very different. But, yeah, to answer your question, no. I had no intention of even doing personal security.
0: So that that's interesting because, so you know, and shout out to a Big Chick. Um, so you met him and he's telling you, yeah, your dream for the, the football. Maybe, maybe that ain't it. Like, was he right. saying, was he trying to suggest maybe you should get into security or was he just saying? Yeah, he was. Okay. He's
1: definitely doing. And like I said, you know, Michael, we 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 had built a relationship, you know. Okay. Um, and, and we can talk more about this, but in my industry, it really starts with networking and, and building relationships. And and at that time I had no idea, but that's exactly what I was doing. I had built a relationship with somebody. I had built a relationship with a decision maker. Mm. And, and so there's a couple characteristics about our, our industry that's really important and loyalty and integrity. Are, are some of the big ones. And so Chick had seen that early on in me. And he seen that that was somebody that, you know, he would wanna work with. He, he seen also too, Michael, the ability to groom somebody okay. and to mold them into what he thought would be a good protection specialist. Cause I, I was a newbie, man. I, I had no idea, you know, about what this industry was about. Mm.
0: This is almost like the, you know, the whole concept of a mentorship, right? Like yeah, somebody certainly. taking you under the wing. Okay. Wow. See, and, I, and we'll get into that as that sort of plays out later. Um, but I think that's something of a theme that I notice through a lot of print stuff, you know, that that level of mentorship, uh, somebody showing you, hey, this is how you do it. Let me show you how to, okay, get better at it. So that's interesting to see that from you at that early point with, with big because I've never, I haven't heard that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just seemed—I just saw him as oh, this, is this big buff white dude that was carrying Prince around. You know, I just looking from the outside. Um, so that's very interesting. Um, had you had uh, went to any of the shows, concerts, prior to you working? No, Prince? man. Like oh. I had, like I
1: said earlier, I, I really—I'm not going to say I wasn't a Prince fan because that wouldn't be accurate. I just had other music that I preferred at the time, mm-hmm. and, and certainly early on for me. Um, getting to know his music, I didn't see and understand the genius. Um, But what I remember early on, Michael, like my boy, Mark, you know, he would come back from rehearsals. He's like, I just don't understand how he hears that and how he he sees these things. And, you know, and so if you're not really a musician, which I'm not, (laughs) I had a conversation this morning with somebody is is that I love music, certainly, but music don't love me back. And so because somebody (laughs) asked me, they said, hey, man, did you, you know, being around Mark and all these other cats, did you ever give any thought to playing an instrument? I started laughing. I said, yeah, I gave some thought, but I quickly figured and found out that that was not my niche. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but yeah, man, so early on, I, I didn't really appreciate him. But man, as soon as I started going to those rehearsals, that was a game changer, man. Really? I mean, that was a game changer. And I tell people, Michael, I was like, you know what, what the fans and what a lot of people seen him perform, and certainly, man, it, it was it's magical. It don't hold a candle to what we used to see in the rehearsals, man. Wow. There, there's there's where you got an opportunity to see the real genius. I mean, man, my job was to protect this cat. And I found myself often mesmerized in in, in soundcheck. It was mm. it was the most amazing thing.
0: Mm. See, we've had, you know, a lot of us fans have had the opportunity to hear some of these rehearsals just in bootlegs and things of that nature. I can only imagine what it's like to probably be there and to see that. Uh, And and this is leading me to some of of the questions I had, jumping a little bit ahead here. In terms of the rehearsal stuff, it sounds like Prince, you know, is very much uh, meticulous, about achieving a certain sound or playing things a certain way or just really driving home uh getting the sound the songs right and playing them properly but it also sounds like too that he once he's really getting in it's not like he would be joking a lot sometimes or at least he would say things and it seemed like he would be addressing people that were standing around or something was he ever like would just start going in on people clowning or Oh it's man! You he hear biggest, that,
1: and you, and you've heard this. I mean, he had an amazing sense of humor, right? Uh, and he was the biggest joker, and and so because rehearsals were so intense, I think that he understood the need to to bring humor in. And I got a couple um, uh, stories that, will, you know, you'll probably find pretty interesting. But one of the things that then this was the eighties. You remember the there was a couple of wrestlers called the Road Warriors, and so those are some more of my mentors. And so I kind of emulated them and how I dressed and. You know, and a lot of things that I did at that time, I was a, a gym fanatic. I stayed in the gym. But okay. uh, uh, our attire consists of blue jeans. I mean, when we weren't on the road because Prince wouldn't have that. But when we were at rehearsal, we wore blue jeans and flannel shirts. <laughs> I mean, I, that was what I wore every day, Michael. So we were at rehearsal <laughs> one day and me and one of my boys, we got our flannel shirts on. And Sheila's like, we should play a joke on him. And this was doing the sign of the times of rehearsals. And we uh, was like, well, what should we do? And so they all knew we wore these flannel shirts. And she was like, everybody buy a flannel shirt and wear a flannel shirt tomorrow for rehearsal. <laughs> so the whole band, man, everybody, <laughs> Levi, Bonnie, you know, everybody, Sheila, all the techs, managers, everybody, we all have flannel shirts on. <laughs> so Pete comes the rehearsal, man, and they're playing 1999, man. And, you know, we're grooving. And, you know, he's so focused, man. He's laser focused on the music. And we probably jammed about 30 minutes. Michael, then he he stops and he looks at me. He looks at my guy and then he starts looking around and he just falls out laughing. He said, oh, my God, no, y'all didn't. He said, you know, here you are playing one of the funkiest grooves of all time, looking about like a bunch of country hicks. And so that was one thing that he did. And, and, And another thing is I used to wear these bandanas all the time. And I don't know if it was one of the events you were at, but I shared this with a group of people. And so I, I had my bandana on one day, and, and I came in the rehearsal. And P looks at me, and they're, they're playing, and he stops. He said, "Hold up! Just stop! Stop! Stop!" and I knew I was in trouble when he looking at me and he tells everybody to stop. He said, Hucky, you know who you look like? And I'm like, no, nah, man, who do I look like? He said, man, you look like Harriet Tubman. Hey. And then everybody <laughs> fell out laughing and they're having a good laugh at, you know, uh, I'm the blunt of the joke. So I obviously didn't find it all that funny. So I like, uh-huh. okay, cool. You got in I your feelings? Out. Yeah, he hurt my feelings, man, he really did. <laughs> And this is one of the things that I tell people. He, I don't think he ever said that he was sorry to me or anyone else, but mm. he certainly did things to let you know, man, I messed up, my bad. Um, and so, the very next day after they laughed, and I'm, 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 I'm the ridicule here. I come in rehearsal the next day. Michael and Prince got a bandana on. This was they were shooting wow. to get off a uh, video. Oh, and uh, wow. and I looked at him and I said, wait, 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 wait. Yesterday, you said I look like Harry and Tubman. He said, you do look like Harry and Tubman, but I make it look sexy. <laughs> and, man, everybody died. But that was his way of saying, hey, I'm sorry. That was messed up laughing at you like that. So I'm going to take it and put it back on me. Wow. And that's what he wow. did.
0: I know the look you're talking about with the bandana tied up. Yeah, yeah. That's how that, hilarious.
1: I own that, man. <laughs>
0: Shoot, I, I can, I'm creative. i was i the one the game in getting better, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> you said you look like Harriet Tubman. <laughs> yeah, you <he> did. <laughs> That's Prince. Prince is hilarious. So, I mean, so he was going, I mean, you know, that makes me think of that part in Purple Rain where it's like, how's the family and everybody laugh and you see more, kind of like, eh. That might have been a little too much. <laughs> yeah, right. A little bit over there. So, so, yeah, so he, Prince, Prince would go. He cracked jokes on people, like you get on.
1: Man, I, you don't understand this dude, man. He he had an incredible sense of humor. Um, he he really did. Prince was this funny man. He was a funny dude, man. Wow.
0: What? Um, so you, just to go back, you were friends with Brown Mark, being mentored with Big Chick. Right. What's the transition to being a guy that's you know hanging out, chilling to okay now you're gonna be an employee here and you're gonna yeah. be in charge? How did that work?
1: That's an interesting question, man, and it's a good one. Um, in the beginning, I didn't do security. I'm like, well, what happened? I thought I was gonna be a bodyguard. So in the very beginning of working with Prince. I was an errand boy. I did everything, Michael. I cut Prince's grass. I took his cars to the car wash. I did all little tasks that I didn't even understand. Why am I doing this? And and the and now as I'm older, I understand that Chick was checking my 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 work ethic. And and there's some early on tests that happened to me early on because one of the reasons that I got hired, I believe, was just because I, I, I'm a guy of integrity. Um, and so uh, that's important, and and it's really important to anybody that's in my in, in my industry. I mean, shortly after he died, I, I got a lot of calls about asking me about my time with him, and I didn't want to share mm-hmm. uh, some of that things. And there's some things that I feel comfortable with sharing today. Uh, because I think it's important for people to really know who he was. But there's certainly some things that, you know, will go to me to 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 my grave. Um, but in the beginning, man, no, I didn't do security. I was pretty much an errand guy. And I didn't get my first assignment until this happened. So Prince had this, um, this white T-bird that he had got from his dad. I think it was in the, the Alphabet Street video. Yeah. yeah. And so, like I said, you know, one of the things, I'd get up, I'd go over and, and, and do all these errands for him. I'd clean his car, take it to the car wash. And, and Michael, man, every time I would take his car to the car wash, there would always be a large sum of money in this these weird places. I'm talking like $2,500, $3,000. Like under the seat, man, in the glove box, under the armrest. I'm like, this is strange. This is weird that I'm always finding money in this car. And so every time, you know, I would, clean the car out. And there was two things. It would be his tapes and the money. And I would put it in an area, right? Like he had this little, underneath his armrest, this little compartment kit. And I'd put it there. And then I'd go back and tell him, you know, I said, Hey man, there was some money that you probably didn't know, you know, was underneath the, you know, underneath your seat or your armrest. And I'm really naive. I didn't figure out till later on what he was doing. And, um, and he would look at me, he gave me that grin. He's like, So all the money's there? I'm like, yeah, all the money's there. Why wouldn't it be? And he'd go back and he'd check it. And it's like, yep, it's all there. And then, Michael, shortly after this happened a couple times, I found myself on an airplane for the first time on an assignment going out to L.A. with Prince. Now, what I didn't know that I found out later on is that Chick was a family man and he had his kids and he had been doing this for a long time. And Chick was well into his late 40s. And he need he needed somebody to help, you know, you know, lighten that load for him. But the challenge with that is, and not only with just P, this is with any celebrity. They, they're very choosy on who they allow to come into their inner circle. Mm-hmm. And so they were seeing if Hucky was the right guy. And so, you know, that's how I transitioned. And next thing after that point, we went to L.A. And it was disastrous. But, you know, it was my first time out there. But uh, Prince was kind. He worked with me, man. Um, he, he he helped me, man, because I was this country boy that did just fill out the turnip truck, and I'm going to L.A. for the first time, and, you know, man, the big city, you know, and, uh, uh, but that's how that happened, man. It, it started from me just, you know, being an errand guy to getting my first opportunity. Now, once I found out that this was real, I'm like, wow, wow, I'm protecting the biggest cat in the country right now. Mm. I wanted to understand and know more about the industry. I'm a big proponent in training. Um, one of my models is it, learning never exhausts the mind. And, and so mm. I, I'm always constantly feeding myself, you know, on this information. And so I was like, I want to know what this bodyguarding stuff's all about. And mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't very many schools at the time. I mean, you know, if you were bodyguarding and you were serious, you were in the Secret Service or, you know, former law enforcement officer or military. Mm-hmm. But not very much stuff on uh, on on civilians. And so I, I, um, I found this book, and I can't remember the name. I think it's called Dead Men Don't Pay Their Clients. It's by I think, doing <laughs> Jack Thompson. I'm, somebody's going to call me out on that, but I'll, I'll remember it, you know, as we're moving forward. So I started reading about what I was doing, and I was like, wow, this is kind of serious business. And, and so that's how I transitioned to wanting to get more and more information about this this line of work that I had chosen to to do.
0: So, and so I, I love that the test was, right, put that money there. Here's these tapes. Let's see what Hucky's going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and you passed that test. And then you said uh the first thing was you guys went to to uh, L.A. Right. What, what, if you can remember what year this was, and the other part I was going to ask you, you said it didn't go very well. I was curious if you could go into that. But did, I was wondering, did you realize – uh, just how popular Prince was on that yeah, first it was album. starting to
1: happen now. And okay. so, how the whole LA trip went is like after I passed all these tests, I was at Mark's house and, uh, man, you remember the old wall phones, man? Mark's mom had <laughs> this old wall phone in the kitchen and so, right. I was at Mark's den and, and so, it's important to tell you this, Mark's a practical joker too. I mean, I think just about everybody in the Prince camp, we were, you know, I, I think that kept our sanity. So, we're all terrible with jokes and so, I'm in Mark's, uh, they had this den off their kitchen, and uh, I'm in there watching TV, and uh, Mark says, uh, telephone. I'm like, okay. So the wall station, uh, the phone stationary on the wall. So I, he brings the cord. I, I man, I, the cord probably was 30 feet long, but I don't think it was originally like this, Michael. I don't know if you, and maybe this is like you were too young to remember this, but after you stretch these cords, they would never, the elasticity would never come back. So he right. had really long cords. And so he drags it almost 30 feet into the next room. <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, hello? And I'm like, yeah, hello? He said, "Um, Hucky, this is Prince. Um, I want you to go to L.A. with me. And I'm like, yeah, man, right, whatever. And I hung up on him. Damn. And so Mark comes back in the room and says, did you just hang up? I said, yeah. I said, man, you need to quit with them jokes, dude. I said, who'd you get to do that? You know, and he was rehearsing with Maserati, so I thought it was like Terry Casey or somebody. He said, Huck, that really was Prince. I'm like, man, that wasn't Prince. That was Terry. And he said, Hucky, that was Prince. And so he calls back, and Prince is like, this is really Prince. Don't hang up on me. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I said, Mark. I thought Mark was playing a joke on me, and so um, he said, "You wanted me to go to LA," and so I think it was like '84. Is what I want to believe. It was early '84.
0: So it's and, like Purple uh, Rain.
1: Yeah, it was called. Rain yeah, they stuff. had this. We just finished up the the um, the, the shooting for the movie. And so it was it was then. But here's what I wanted to say why it didn't go well. So the number one thing that anyone that does what I do is we do what's called advanced work and advanced work is really just getting ahead, being proactive. So, for instance, if I was going to take you, Michael, you were my client. I was going to take you to a restaurant. Guess what I'm going to do before you go to dinner? I'm going to go out there. And I'm going to check out the restaurant. I'm going to find a place that I know from experience where you would want to see it sit, but also to a place that if there was an emergency or a challenge that I could get you out of the restaurant pretty quick. And I'll share a story with you later on about a nightclub in uh, in Los Angeles where someone started shooting and we were in the club with Eddie Murphy and MC what? Hammer. Yeah, and I'll tell you how that went. Um, so write that uh, down. I am right now, right, right now. <laughs> um, so that's the thing you know, is advanced. And basically advanced just makes things easier for you as the protector, and it makes any uncomfortable situations that the client may face to be eliminated. And so my first time, I don't know about advanced work. So things like, oh, where's the limousine and we just get off the plane, there's no limo here, you know? Or, you know, we get to the hotel and all those things that Murphy's Law kicks in, uh, we don't have a Mr. Nelson today. I know this is Prince, but you know, we don't have a room book for you. Wow. So those type of challenges, those are the things that went wrong for a newbie that didn't know better. But there was a it was a great learning experience, because guess what? It didn't happen again. And, and the thing that was really cool with Prince is that he knew I was new, man, he was patient. I mean, I think about, mm-hmm. I'm like, man, this dude should have fired me day one. But I had something that you know he seen in me, and that was the beauty about prince man he could he he could bring out the best in you, man, he could bring out stuff in you that you never even knew you were capable of doing you know
0: wow so, so you you were- saying, so i mean, did that happen like y'all got off the plane, and like I was like, okay, where we go next was that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And are yeah, there people like him. that notice him at this point? Is he at the point oh, where people absolutely. are-
1: He's, yeah, he's, he's rockstar now, you know, uh, you know. Uh, so yeah,
0: what do you, what do you do? I'm curious how you handled that situation. Like, what did you do? I
1: a have done, but there's where he came in and helped me, man. He's like, call this person. Okay. So for instance, what happened is we got off the plane and, and here's the thing, man. So, like, I just finished up a book not too long ago called Remember the Time. And it, it's really a good book. It's about That's Michael I, I've read yeah. that.
0: But I've seen the movie of that. that you know, yeah. Movie, yeah. But
1: this one's really cool because it's from security's perspective. Yes. And just the challenges of it. And, and here's the thing about artists like that. They are so involved in their world that it's not that they're selfish or anything like that. They just, they're focused on being creative people and they just, they just, they just they're not aware or in tune with the actual problems that regular people deal with, Mm -hmm. you know? And so Prince is like, I get off an airplane, somebody's always there for me, it always goes smooth. Well, Hucky was supposed to set that up. And and, and Chick, you know, I mean, Chick needed to be with his family, and those are things that he would have taken care of. And so one thing that didn't happen is I didn't get a good walkthrough, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And remember, too, this is pre-cell phone so mm-hmm. you know today people are like well how come you didn't use your gps and how come <laughs> right. you didn't get on your phone well my cell phone was a uh, a pay phone somewhere down the airport so little hiccups like that um i didn't know how to advance a nightclub it was a club that we used to go to called carlson charlie's i think that's it on sunset uh right off i think la on on sunset but uh you know i i didn't know anything about going to the club meeting with the club manager and club security to get Princeton out without there being a problem. And so there was a problem. Mm. We went to the club and the door was locked. We had made arrangements to come to the back door and it was locked. And there were photographers out there taking pictures and he hated to have his picture taken. Mm. So those are the challenges that I had in the very beginning that, you know, those are lessons learned for me. Um, and, you know, and fortunately for me, he was patient. Unfortunately for me, I was a guy that only needed to be taught something one time, and it mm. didn't happen again. Mm. I,
0: I hear that he wasn't the type of dude that was had a lot of time for excuses. And, no,
1: uh, never. Um, but he was. But you know, he was reasonable. Prince really was. Um, but he would let you know that you know we, we don't do excuses here. Either it happened or it didn't. And it was. And that's a lesson that I that I keep to this day, you know? Um, nobody wants to hear excuses, we just don't. Right. I, we, we missed a plane one time, we were in London and we were coming back to Minneapolis. And I, it, you know, and from his mind, it was my fault that we missed a plane. For me, it was because he didn't get up when I told him to, but he explained <laughs> to me, you know, that it's your job to make sure that I'm there. You know, whatever you need to do to do that. Cause I was like, well, Prince, this I I, 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 I I don't want to hear excuses. <laughs>
0: so Friends, yeah, wow. so you, you, you bring up a lot of things that we don't even think about like you said he didn't get up in time how does that work because again being in that position that you are and you have this superstar talent or any sort of person like that but are you do you have to like knock on that person's door the hotel I mean how literally do you have to be to make sure that he's ready um because you have to move at a certain time or was he a spontaneous yeah. type you know spontaneity like oh no no we're gonna move when I say, how does that That's a great me?
1: question, man. And uh, I do, I do, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Clubhouse, but it's a, it's a new I audio have. platform. Yeah. And so I'm on Clubhouse. And, and what I do on my show on Clubhouse, Michael, is I help people that want to become protectors. And so that's a question that comes across. What do you do when you're P? Uh, and P in this situation stands for principal doesn't cooperate with you. And the only thing you can do is what's worked for me and a lot of other protectors over the year. You have to make them aware of what the consequences will be if they don't do what you say. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's all you can do because most times they sign the check. And so what I quickly learned to do with Prince is like I knock on the door And if he didn't answer, then, you know, I'd call him. If he didn't answer the phone, I would knock on the door, go in this room and say, hey, it's Huck. We got 15, 30 minutes. We have to be out of here unless you want to do something different. And Hmm. there's where I learned how to begin to work with Prince and was successful. Prince, you could not tell him, Michael, what to do. If you (laughs) did that, he was like, oh, you, you, oh, really? so i would always give him the option i started phrasing my my questions to him with giving him the option to decide what he wanted to do mm. and i started saying unless you want to do something different or, or you see things a different way so yeah. now i throw it back at him bro so right, like if he was the plane now it's because it was his choice
0: see that's a lot of game right there how do you, how do you work with somebody who is you know the boss you man. don't tell them, but you present options in a way, then you put the onus on them. So, okay, it's your it's your show. It's
1: the whole art of presenting yeah. stuff, and it's not yes. just me. I got a buddy that worked with Usher for years, and and we sit okay. up and we tell war stories, and and we're <laughs> laughing because we're telling the same thing. You know, I got buddies that work with Michael and Madonna, and you know, wow. and so when people are like that, man, you know, you don't tell them what to do. Right, okay, right, right. They, they tell you, they tell the record company, they tell everybody <laughs> else. So. The, obviously, you know my number one, you know, uh, objective is is the safety of that individual, and so I have to be able to to get it across to them that these are some things that we need to do. But how do I do that? And that's the art of communication, man.
0: Okay, I love that, man. I love that. Um, uh, you, so uh, during this time, and again, you can let me know <laughs> what you can talk about or not. But I remember, I remember the re- we are the world. And that whole recording thing, and there was, there was no internet back then, you could only sort re- of rely on either word of mouth, which would be very sketchy, or what you did see in the media. But from my understanding, there was something that happened with Prince and some photographers. It was like a big thing at the time, and I was curious: were you around at this time?
1: Yeah, I was one of the bodyguards involved okay. in the fiasco. Uh, two of my buddies got arrested that night, and. Uh, you know, I, I, I because I, 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 I foreseen what was going to happen, I, I, I didn't go to jail that night. <laughs> and I'm thankful yeah. about that. But Michael, that's a that's a wonderful case of how people didn't know how to communicate with P. You know, people mm-hmm. told him, whatever you do, and this is management, okay, his management, do not be out and about on town, do not be seen. Because basically, you know, if you know the story and I'll sum it up, you know, Princeton, he didn't, he didn't participate in the recording. And it wasn't because, and this is my perspective from being there and having conversations with him, it wasn't because he was being a jerk or he thought he was better than the rest of the musicians or he didn't believe in the cause. He just didn't work well like that. That wasn't him, man. Mm-hmm. And all the times that I was with him, I never remember him being in an environment to where there wasn't one or two other people in the studio with him. That just wasn't his thing. So that was out of his comfort level. And so, you know, and so that that's what the thing was. He didn't want to he didn't want to be in a room with other musicians like that, you know, and, and for whatever those reasons are, you know, sure. he should have been able to make that decision. The problem is the optics, right? It's mm-hmm. always the optics. You know, I think about Ted Cruz now going to Cancun. I don't think right. there's anything wrong with him going to Cancun. But how does that look when your whole state's messed up? It's not (laughs) Not a good look. (laughs) So it's always the optics, and the optics in this situation was with P going out. Oh, you can go out to the nightclub and your bodyguards can beat up people, but you can't be doing (laughs) you know other great musicians in this wonderful cause.
0: Wow. And and was that you know I don't know how much you can speak on that situation. I mean, was it just people was trying to get his picture all up in his face, or what? You know, what, what happened like
1: Yeah, that's what, I mean, so here's the thing that I'll share with you. Prince did not want his picture taken. He just, he, you know, and that was one of the, the toughest things that we had to do, is like at all costs, do not allow somebody to get clean shots of him. He didn't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know what his reasoning. and I never asked him, like, oh, I mean, why won't you, you know, what's the big deal? But he didn't want it. And so as his protectors, it was our job to make sure that that didn't happen. And so guess what? You know, there wasn't the Internet or anything like that. But people knew that across town there was a group of people that was doing this, you know, recording for this amazing cause. And here Prince is going into one of the local nightclubs. And so, you know, it doesn't take long to know what somebody's routine is. And also, too, there's always individuals on on staff at a nightclub that would, you know, especially in L.A., man, it was terrible. That would inform the paparazzi that Mm. guess what? So and so just pulled up him and his bodyguards, you know. And so next thing you know, you come out and there's thirty thousand photographers there, and so you know. And and, and here's the thing with the paparazzi, I man, they can be really, really aggressive. I mean, that's their whole game, you know. Michael's to get you to do to get a confrontation. Oh, good well, for sure. You know. And so, man, I, I can't tell you, bro, how many times over the years where I I, I had camera lenses. Up against my head, my head busted open because you know. And and at that point, I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I want you know, I wanted to let, take some people out, but you know, you can't do that because then next thing you know, you're on. At that time, it was the National Enquirer, but so right. today would be TMZ. GMZ, you know? Front front it's page, bodyguards, you know, yeah. beat you know paparazzi for no reason
0: so um. i want to jump to just something else real quick because this is something i find interesting and i want to get your perspective so that type of situation particularly back then uh you didn't hear a lot about that i don't know if those things happened or not but you know the other aspect of this you know prince is uh, you know a black artist uh, and dealing with this now you jump a few years later Maybe a couple, a decade or so, when you know hip hop is at the forefront, and the stars uh, of that genre are a little more closer to streets, to the streets and, and the neighborhoods and things of like that. And I think there's a time where certain people, the bodyguards and the protection, changes from not necessarily the professional, but well, you you getting your man or or the buddies from the block coming to hold you down, and you starting to have these posses of people and you know your crew and stuff does that dynamic start to change from you know the paparazzi being so aggressive and now you have people that probably don't understand that kind of game and like just see that as total disrespect was there ever a part in in the executive production protection field where it was like man we have to present present ourselves this one way but here's another segment of this kind of coming into this industry that's not dealing with being professional like like they really putting hands on people was that ever a thing?
1: You know that's a great question. Um and and I'm going to go back to what I t- said to you earlier. Everything comes down to communication. So I like to believe that I've had a pretty successful career in dealing with the paparazzi and this, you know, people at hotels and everything. And one of the things that I learned early on, Michael, is is that you have to be respectful of people and you have to treat people with some decency. And I and I found that if you did that, if you weren't the guy that was six foot five, 300 pounds, saying move, get out of the way or I'm going to hammer you, you know. But if you say, hey, you know what? Can you help me? I really need Mm. your help. Can you help me do this? And so one of the things that I did, bro, right off the bat, I learned after a couple of confrontations is like, hey, guys, I know you have a job to do and I'm going to do everything I can to allow you to get some shots. And that wasn't true, but they didn't need to know that. Mm -hmm. And I would communicate with them. And and man, when I found that I communicated with people like that and I was respectful and I didn't tell people I was going to smash you if you didn't get out of the way. Then all of a sudden, not only with the the, uh, the paparazzi, but just with people in general, you know, we would go in nightclubs, you know. And if I was by myself or it was one other guy, what am I going to do with a whole club full of people? You mm-hmm. know, I can't. So I have to get club security to help me. And so I would go out I would meet with the club manager. I would meet with club security. And on top of that, I would tell them, man, thanks, guys. I couldn't do I couldn't have done this without your help. And sometimes I tip them out, man. Hmm. And okay. so I was just respectful to people. Now, what you said earlier, I don't think it has anything to do with the genres. It just it just depends on the people that you're hiring, you okay. know, and that's what any industry you can hire somebody that's a professional or you can hire somebody that's not a professional. I don't think it's a tag or a stereotype with in any industry, because I know a lot of a lot of individuals in the hip hop industry that have excellent protectors. Vice For versa. I sure. you know people mm-hmm. in corporate America that have some of the worst guys in the world running their security details. Oh, okay. okay. You know, so um yeah, man, so to answer your question, I I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it's this, it's how you treat people, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I have found in my career that being respectful and and, and talking to people, man. And just explaining what you're trying to do, you know, right. it's like, look, my job is to get this guy from point A to point B. I know your job is to to cover, you know, this individual for, you know, whatever media agency you're working for. How can we how can we how can we make that happen?
0: OK, oh, I like that. Um, and speaking of something like that, I mean, what's um, I'm always curious how people responded to prints When they saw him, you know, maybe he was walking through the airport or wherever it was. And you've heard Prince sort of tell little stories of, in his perspective, how he would see people reacting to him. But I'm curious from from your vantage point, um, how did uh, fans or people react when they saw him? You know, at at a certain point, I imagine he was so popular, people probably wanted to rush toward him, I'm I'm assuming. Um, And I'm curious how you guys dealt with that.
1: Well, this depends on the circumstances and the the environment. So we went to see the Jacksons on the the victory tour in Dallas, Texas, and I think it was 84, Michael. Wow. And there were six of us, and uh, Prince wanted to go to the show. And it was at, I think at the time, it was Texas Stadium where the Cowboys used to play, the place that had the the hole in the roof. And so we had did our advance work. We had spoken with the Texas Stadium security. We had meetings with Michael Jackson's people so that they knew that we were going to be in the house. And this kind of goes back to courtesy, too, because we didn't have to tell them. But, right. you know, we want them to know that we're in the house. Now, so can I ask you a
0: quick question for you? Because yeah. <laughs> are you talking about Prince wanted to be like, go there and not be behind the stage, but actually be out? Right. And OK. So <laughs> Prince you, is funny for that, this but is go it,
1: ahead. This is the line <laughs> wondering how people responded. So I'm clear how this how this one went for us and it wasn't very good.
0: I can imagine. I I, I almost feel like he's trolling a little bit to do that cuz you got to know the attention is going well, to Well, he
1: to. was he was very devious at times okay. and at the end of the story you'll see we'll see that. So we we, we put him in a hoodie and we said whatever we, whatever we do we're gonna space. And so the one thing that we knew we couldn't have chick around Prince because Chick had mm. gotten so famous that if you've seen Chick, it didn't take a rocket just right. to figure out somewhere Prince was. So we we kinda had Chick back, you know, and we and we had Chick we had Chick on in, incognito as well too. So it was me, Gilbert Davison, and a couple other guys. We were we were pretty close, but not as tight And we call it a walking formation, but not as tight as we normally would be, because you know, we wanted to appear that whoever this individual was, they didn't have security. And and we we asked Prince to downplay what he wears, and he had a problem <laughs> with that. Um, but we said, do we do we want to go out there and cause a scene, or, or, or are you just trying to go enjoy the show? Right. And once again, Michael, that was me learning how to give Prince options. Because if you want to cause a scene, then let's get a hundred bodyguards and just go right out there. Now I don't know how Michael and them are going to appreciate that, but we can do that. Right. And he's like, no, we don't. That would be disrespectful. We don't want anyone to know. Okay, cool. So man, we get out there, man without a hitch. It was beautiful. We, you know, and 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 I remember, man, it was one of them, I wish I had one of my sound buddies on. And maybe you don't understand a little bit about sound, but they had the soundboard in the middle of the field. Because okay. like I said, this is Texas Stadium. It's it's a football field, a football stadium where the Cowboys played it. But they had one of these these um know, what is that called? But anyway the soundboard was stacked up on top of the scalpeling. And so we got out there and he had these little ladders that you go up and we got Prince up to the soundboard. And so Prince was up in the soundboard with Michael Soundman and a couple other people. It was beautiful. We was there for about an hour and he decided that he wanted to go. So he's got a hoodie on, man. And uh, he looks down at me, gives me this devious look. I'm like, oh, (laughs) come on, man, let's don't do this. Michael, he pulls the hood off. Oh Lord. (laughs) And this girl looked up, bro, and she said, ah, it's Prince. (laughs) And, man, not only does he take his his hoodie off, he gets down on the field. And we told him, whatever you do, be cool, stay calm, don't run, don't run. (laughs) What does he do, man? This dude takes off like he's Carl Lewis, man, all right? you know, A couple of us are young enough, we can hang with him. I'm, you know, I was an ex-football player, so I'm in pretty good shape. And we're running through, man, and people are mobbing us, man, grabbing wow. his clothes, tearing our hair. And here's Chick, a man well into his 40s, big, big guy split his pants out of, out of breath, trying to run, man. <laughs> and we, we were so mad at that cat, man, at the end, but that crowd it went crazy. And, you know, Michael knew they weren't happy because we were disruptive to their show, right. but the fans, they lost their mind, you know, because it was this rivalry that was brewing. So, you know, I mean, so in that sense, the fans, they'd see Prince and they would go crazy. It was beat. It was just like the Beatles. Now, and another segment of the population, that didn't mean anything. So one of the things that happened on the Purple Rain Tour, uh, we, we played Hartford, Connecticut. And, you know, one of the biggest things that was really important with Prince was moving him through an airport without causing, you know, not without it being traumatic for him. And so I just asked, I man, I I've always been a creative guy. I said, hey, you know, is there any way that we could get the limousines you know, on the tarmac so that we don't have to go through the terminal. That just seems like that would be easier for everybody else. Uh, And it would be easier on your security staff, on your police department. And this was Hartford, And it was great. And so, man, it it happened, Michael. And Prince turned around, man. I got him in the car. He gave me the biggest smile. I didn't see very many of these, bro, over the years. (laughs) He was happy. And he told Chick, he said, see, Hucky can get stuff done. This is how it should happen. Every city. And Chick laughed, you know, Chick chick looked at me like, give me the dirtiest look I ever, you know, I'm like, well, why are you pissed off at me? And and, and I, I quickly found out that Chick knew that this was impossible. You know, maybe we could do it in Hartford, Connecticut, but you're mm. going to see, young man, you, you're a little too smart for your britches. Mm. So, Michael, the next city was Washington, D.C. And I think the airport now is Reagan International. I think at the time it was national.
0: Okay.
1: And... Uh, I said, I, I went and had a meeting. I'm feeling pretty good about myself, man. I just accomplished something. My, right, right. my boss was pleased with me. So I had a meeting with one of the lieutenants. I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, oh, "Prince, purple rain, man, right? And he looked at me and he put his arms across. And he says, let me tell you something, young man. He said, I don't care what prince he is and what king he is and from what country he's from. He said, we don't do that. As a matter of fact, the vice president of the United States wouldn't get that treatment. He Mm -hmm. said, there's only one VIP in this town. That was a southern guy. And he said, he lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So, no, I don't know about your prince and that's not happening. Mm. And so the reality check came. And said, <laughs> right. Yeah, there was a segment of the population that was crazy about Prince. But there was also people that I don't know who Prince is and I don't care who Prince is.
0: Mm. Man. OK. That's funny that the victory tour sh- uh, story. <laughs> I, could, I could see that being in a movie or something and just it, you know, something like that would play very differently today in the world of social media. You know, <laughs> everybody's
1: crap. asked me, why don't you write a book? Mm-hmm. And I and I've considered it, um, but the one thing that I don't want to do is when you get that close to someone, you're gonna you're gonna know things about them mm-hmm. that um, I don't think that people should know about. And and so I, I thought about if I did do a book, uh, it would be focused, Michael, on just the protection part, on what it was like to protect. This individual. Now, I don't know if that's of interest to people. You know, maybe it is. Maybe you know, I would. I'm okay with sharing stories about Michael Jackson, but there's certainly some intimate things about Prince that I just wouldn't want to share, and I, and nor do I think it's sure. right. And that's just my perspective. Um, oh,
0: well, we respect that. that. We respect that. You know, you everybody know? has their their different uh, <clears throat> takes or different stances, and you know, I think the thing about Prince, for the most part a lot of the people that work with him have this level of respect for him you know which which is why we never really got to hear a lot about him right you know and so I, but i love that people are sort of sharing a little bit now so we can at least you know i think just historically and just to learn even more context to the great music which i think probably speaks for him just as much as well too right right like, um okay so and and i love how you know again here's your mentor Big chicks like, oh, okay. You thought you did something. Now you gonna know, overpromise something. You know, <laughs> Writing checks, you're behind. Gonna be the cash. And, right there, yeah, you go, man. That's another lesson into itself. D- this is a, just to throw another question in here. Because of Prince, is you know who he was. He was so popular. He was not only very popular with fans and stuff, but I assume even to celebrities would be a big deal to 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 meet Prince and thing. Were there ever opportunities? um, when other celebrities, and you don't have to name it if you don't want to, but other celebrities would come around, whether it was Paisley or different places. And and I'm just curious if Prince was kind of like, hey, Hucky, man, maybe can you make sure that person kind of you know, stands back a little bit? or <laughs> So I was just curious if even celebrities sometimes started to geek out uh, to Prince. If you Yeah, man, for sure. Um, and the first
1: time that I seen it firsthand was at the premiere of Purple Rain, the after party. Mm-hmm. and and just to see hollywood i mean and michael man that was so amazing for me because it's like i was i was working with p but now i'm starting because we were pretty isolated you know once in a while we go to a club or more than once in a while but we go to a club and you'd see people but now to see hollywood looking at him just like a regular fan that was crazy and i remember i think it was heather locklear I'll say some things. I'm okay with that. But it was at the after party and she really wanted to meet Prince. And then I can't remember the the guy's real name, but there was a show called Hill Street Blues at the time. And there were two Mm -hmm. patrol officers. One was a black guy and one was a white guy. And I can't remember the white guy's name, but he was a big Prince fan and he wanted to meet him. And then, of course, Eddie Murphy, you know, I can tell you the basketball stories, but Eddie, man, was a true Prince fan. He, man, (laughs) you know, so, yeah, so absolutely there were there was there was a bunch of those.
0: wow. well you you mentioned Eddie Murphy, and of course, you know uh, rest in peace to his brother Charlie Murphy, so you know, some classic uh, Prince basketball stories and all of that. everyone knows these. But you also, I don't know if you are one of the people he mentions in these stories when he talks about these basketball games, but you've played extensive basketball over the years, I'd imagine with Prince uh and i heard you tell a story i, I want to jump on this one thing you told a story about prince found out that you guys would have these games was it i don't know once a week or something like that and then yes, but he yeah. wanted to come to the game and right. what i wanted to ask you about something like that is when and, and and you can you can say this about even if this was your boss at your job you know your boss hears about you having these barbecues and he want to come and you know that changes dy- deny- dynamic because you be with your boys and you act a certain way. But here's like Prince, right? He's a celebrity. Did you have to like um, get at your people, the other ball players, and be like, "Hey, man, you know Prince is coming through. Don't be like trying to g-check him or oh, extensively." I mean, was there any conversation like, Absolutely. was there guys who would talk too much shit? And, like, I don't know if I want him to be there. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: As a matter of fact, there was one guy, I'm not going to say his name. Sure. Because uh, I don't want him to be pissed at me. We, I, I still talk to him this day. He's probably mad. I think he got mad at me for sharing the story. Um, but anyway, man, there was one guy that I had to have that conversation with because <laughs> he, was a, he he talked a lot of stuff. And, and he was a big guy. Prince, you know, everybody knows Prince is a small guy. And right, so, right. you know, I, I was concerned about, I mean, our basketball games, there's some big dudes. We get physical. And I'm like, you know, I I don't want that happening with P. You know, I had a fear that somebody giving him a bow to the jaw, you know, or, you know, doing something crazy. Uh, I didn't want that to happen. So, um, yeah, I had to have that conversation. I laid out the rules. I was like, don't be. And thank goodness, Michael, this was well before social media. This is well before cell phones. So, Mm. I mean, I'm sure that it would have been disastrous if it would have been this time, you know. Um, but I had to lay out some rules, man. Be careful who you call. Don't don't I mean I don't not be careful, don't be calling your girlfriends or anything like that. It's All just gonna right. be <laughs> so yeah. I had to put out some rules, man.
0: Well, now when when Prince came though to play, I mean, was he was he getting down? Like Man, you know? Prince was a hooper, man. I
1: mean, and I, I don't need to tell that story because everybody knows, you know, that knows anything about him. He could hoop, man. This is how much of a hooper he was. He was he's Prince was five one or five two. If this cat would have been, I honestly believe six feet, six one, he another option would have been to play professional basketball. He was mm. that good, man. He was really, really good. Wow. You know, and I I played around some good ballers, man. But this dude was, he had a jump shot, man, he was dead on, and he had handles. I mean, he could break you off, man. And that was the thing, like with the Eddie Murphy thing, Eddie couldn't, (laughs) well, I would say that, Eddie couldn't play no basketball, man. They were hacks, (laughs) you know? And so here you got a a dude like Prince that can hoop, you know, he's, you know? And Prince had a lot of other guys, like, you know, the dancers, Damon, Tony Kirk, you know, Damian was like an all-state basketball player at 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 a powerhouse basketball school. And, and Dwayne, his brother, was an all star. So we had some hoopers around, man. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was one of our things that we did, man, for relaxation. I think it was really good for P, uh, his escape. We we played hoop a lot.
0: Was he uh, just as competitive playing basketball? And everything. As was, uh, everything.
1: everything. So one of the things, bro, at Paisley well, when he was in the recording studio or wherever, um, you know. We had now. I mean, once we had them secure in a secure environment, you know, we still had to practice what we call situational awareness. But it wasn't. It wasn't like you know we were out on the road or something. And so we did things on our downtime. And so we were big. Uh, we really were big into John Madden football, and the
0: about I, video games.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and before Madden, there was a game on Nintendo. I can't, I think it was called Techno Bowl. Techno Bowl,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Here we go.
1: <laughs> yeah, Michael. So we played all day, but that's what we did. You know, while <laughs> Prince was in the studio recording, we played that. Hilarious. Man, yeah. this cat came out one time. I don't know if you've ever been to Paisley, but in the atrium there, he had a little kitchen. Mm. We had a TV set up there, and he came in and he stood behind me, and me and Gilbert were playing. And, and uh, and he didn't say nothing. So I finally say, Hey, you want to play? Nope. It's like, are you sure? Nope. So okay. But he, he watched us play for about 45 minutes. Huh? So the next day, Michael, he comes back and says, Let's play. Really? <laughs> what? And, you know, I'm good, man. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> man, this dude. So there was a play with Bo Jackson that you could do, and it was basically unstoppable. <laughs> and so Prince figured that out. And this dude just was waxing everybody. So I forgot who he was dating at the time, and she said, "Yeah, I gotta tell you something." I was like, "What?" She said, "We went out and bought the game, and he stayed up all night long playing it." I said, <laughs> "That sucker!" But
0: that's how competitive he was, man. Wow. Not only as a music, this dude
1: wanted to beat you in everything.
0: Dominate stuff. That's you know? that's see. That's I, I love that because you hear that other things like I think when Jimmy Jam talked about, you know, Prince stayed up all night and did 1999 and came back the next day and was just like, "Whoa!" and and this is that same sort of mentality like oh this is what y'all doing okay y'all, right. y'all go home yeah i'm gonna freak this let me let me master this so when they come back i'm about to eat these up and then he, yeah, came he, Boom. he went yeah. for the juggler man
1: he was competitive <laughs> i mean i, I remember it. one time we were at sunset sound and michael jackson came well michael jackson was there and and they were playing ping pong and prince and prince was really good at ping pong i mean he's a good pool player mm-hmm. and good at ping pong and basketball and uh michael you know <laughs> Man, Michael wasn't very coordinated, I'll say that. And so Prince was really good. He's like, you want to play ping pong? And he turned around and gave me that look. I was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and so Michael, uh, Michael, they started playing and Prince is just killing him. And Prince is like firing his these serves at this dude that are coming at 100 miles an hour. Michael wasn't very coordinated, oh man. Lord. And so, you know, and Prince is just like, boom, 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 boom. And Michael's like, I don't want to play anymore. This isn't any fun. <laughs> and so... They went back in the studio, man, and Prince was busting out loud. He said, Man, that dude look like he looked like Helen Keller out there playing. I, mean, I tore him up, man. But he was competitive,
0: Prince man. Was for wild. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> man, so were they was Michael doing something else there, or did they just they just came there to, to link up real quick or something? Or yeah, Sunston
1: Sun Sound was a really big studio, man, that everybody would go to. Oh, okay. And um, and Michael was there. I mean, you know, they had other studios. And if my memory serves me correctly, Michael was you know, um, he was recording something. I don't remember what it was, um, wow. and I can't even tell. I mean, I, I I I was in the studio so much that it all—it's like the concerts. They all blend together, and it, it has to be something really unique to make me remember. You know, because it was just so much of my time. That's what I did.
0: Man, um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, and again, leave names out, but I'm just trying to understand it from just a, a, a from the player logistical playbook that is the unwritten story of Prince, but it's sometimes some the elephant in the room. Did you guys have, to, and what I mean by that is, what, did you guys, like, did you have to uh, help coordinate, like, who could come and see Prince at a certain time? And like, if you knew, and I, I think you spoke about being prepared, like, you know, okay, if old girl come right now, uh, old girl over here is in here right now, if she come, that could be a problem. How do I manage? Uh, Did you guys have to help manage that type of thing? Or is that just something Prince handled in his own way? Here's what
1: I will say. uh, (laughs) Without saying too much. Sure. Um, During my time with P, he dated some people that were in his organization. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so with that being said, anybody that was in his organization, especially if they were on tour, they would see or see individuals that they would have issues with. Mm. And so it was our job to make sure that he, they were never seen. Okay. If you understand where I'm going. No, I do. Yeah, we yeah. that. Okay. But yeah, we did coordinate that. And that was our job to make sure that so-and-so didn't see this. Wow. Yeah, because I, I, I would read stuff. Way, I, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I feel comfortable saying this. There was a certain person that he was dating that uh, that used to stay in the same hotel was part of his entourage that we had to move to another hotel.
0: I so was that was like that. that
1: was that was the solution.
0: Man, okay. Hey, and, it's and, rock and
1: roll, man. Some that's that stuff. Right. right uh, yeah,
0: I mean, but you know, logistically you got to you got to keep the the main your your what would you call him? Your your principal. Yeah. has to be secure and and drama-free as much as possible, so that had to be a part of, you know, like you said moving the chess pieces around a little bit right there you go that's a great word <laughs> <laughs> move them around wow coordinate Michael. Co- there you go coordinate I'm coordinator. <laughs> um uh, you kind of threw me off a little bit there um i'll like, say so i, I want to jump to a particular period if i could were you also around and did, then did you go like overseas to uh paris and france for like the under the cherry moon Filming and yeah, like I live
1: with them in Paris. When I tell people, I uh, so it's, it's funny because I don't always share with people who I've protected over the years and stuff like that. And so I will say, yeah, I lived in Paris. And when I'm having that conversation with some people, it's like, oh, uh, you, you really? Or were you in the military? Nope. <laughs> or you did this? Nope. Where did you live at? Man, I'll tell that. We lived at 60 Avenue Foch, which is right by the Ark of the Triumph. And so uh, I was like, yeah, I lived in Paris. And so, yeah, I was there. Um, I get in the morning and walk down the Champs-Élysées. I would run down to the Louvre. Uh, and uh, that was my morning run. And I'd run back home. So I was, I, I mean, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with Prince. Uh, I lived at a lot of the, his, uh, his estates. And so certainly at our apartment in Paris, it was uh, myself, uh, a lady by the name of Randy Laterman, who was one of his chefs. Uh, I think Gilbert was there on and off. Um, and and I think Robbie too. Robbie Pastor, who was Prince's personal
0: assistant. Shout out to Robbie. I met that. Robbie's my guy, man. Yeah, you talk, that's
1: somebody else you need to get on there. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've been Robbie's over, cool, over the years. I, I
0: just need to get on it. But yeah, Rob, doesn't he, he have? If I'm this, this is the right person, he has. does he have like some kind of driving service. Yeah, yes. You
1: know, he's got a, a driving service. So Robbie's yeah. good people. He's my
0: guy. Yes, sir. Salute to him. Um, well, I always wanted to ask, you know, going over there and you mentioned like traveling and stuff. How was that for you? Like, was that your first time going overseas at that time? Or I'm just curious, like, you know, you're coming from Kansas City, then Minneapolis and you've done some stuff in the States. But to go overseas, what was that like? Yeah,
1: I, I, I can answer that for you. But I'll just tell you that. I mean, so prior to getting with Prince, I hadn't did much traveling, but Michael, it was always a burning passion I've always wanted to travel. Matter of fact, I remember when I was a young kid, my dad worked for the phone company, and I used to collect phone books. But I would collect phone books from different cities from across the United States because I was so fascinated. I was like, oh, Miami or Chicago. I want to go there one day. I want to do this. I want to do that. And uh, you know, and I, and I need to go back because people heard me say at the beginning. I said my mother was a single, um, uh, a single parent, and so the man that she married, I recognize as my real father because okay. he 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 took care of two kids that weren't his own and, and treated us and loved us. If we were, mm. um, but anyway, so anyway, because I, Not you know how to America, yeah. people come yeah. back and say, "Well, didn't he say that his mom right, was a single right. mother?" You know, so we got to got to establish that. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, so I always wanted to travel, man, and that was the thing when Chick initially gauged my interest in doing this. And, you know, I thought about traveling, and so I am going to get right to you know traveling to Europe. But I'll tell you, man, what hit me was the first time that I had to go to New York, and mm. it was. Prince, uh, Mr. Nelson, and myself, and it was the first time, and Mr. Nelson hadn't been to New York either, and I remember Prince on the plane saying, he said, Hucky, have you been to New York? I said, no, this is my first time, and and he's like, great, I'm going to be the one leading two newbies around the city, you know? (laughs) And, and so, man, it was just so, I remember when the plane came in and the pilots would look out on your left side of the window, you can see Manhattan. And I remember Michael seeing the Statue of Liberty and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing, man. This is awesome. <laughs> and so that impact was the one that really got me. Now, when we went to Europe, because like, the first time I had been to Europe was on the parade tour. And um, and so London was the first place that we had, we had been to, and that was... That was crazy. But then after a while, you know, what I often tell people is, is that the cool thing about my job was I was able to see the cities. The messed mm. up thing about my job is I wasn't able to see the cities. It's
0: kind of
1: and, in and so, out. Mm. yeah, well, not only that, but like the rest of people that I work with in the entourage, they would tell me. You know, oh, I just went to the Eiffel Tower. And Mike, we had went to Paris six times before I had finally had an opportunity to see the Eiffel Tower because a couple things to remember back in those days, there were no cell phones. And, you know, I, I moved when Prince moved. And if he didn't have any interest in going to see the Eiffel Tower, then I didn't have any interest. And so mm. one of the things that often makes me uh, sad is that I was in these places, but the only thing I could tell you about during my time was, oh, that nightclub and and. And, and Copenhagen, Denmark was off the chain. Oh, do you remember this nightclub in London on the West mm-hmm. End? Off the chain. Oh, what about Big Ben? Uh yeah, I, I didn't I haven't seen Big Ben.
0: So you guys would be there for life. work, basically. Y'all was working.
1: Yeah, exactly, life. bro. Wow. So yeah, I was in Paris. We lived in Paris. Um, and uh, you know, the only reason why I actually got to go down to the Louvre and stuff was that it was because it wasn't far from the house. So I would run for about an hour and then run back to the house.
0: So the part I was going when you're going overseas, I was curious from your perspective, again, during the protection, are the um, audiences different there in terms of when you, in terms of how you have to do your job? Um, do they respond differently than American audiences or fans would?
1: Um, that's kind of a two part question. And and, and the for, for, OK, so from this perspective, yes, the audiences are very different. Um, you know, Prince, it, it seemed that the Europeans really, they just didn't listen and enjoy the music. They were really, they really got into it. They they, they studied it and wanted to know everything and understand Prince as a musician. And mm-hmm. so when you have that perspective and you're going to see the shows, it's different as opposed to, oh, Prince is the latest thing, he's cool. You know, the Europeans, and this is no bash on the American artists, I don't want anyone to, to feel that, but That was different. And Prince even had mentioned it at times. From a protector's perspective, no, it's all the same. You have to understand that threats come from anywhere and at any time. So we can be in Bogota, Colombia, or we can be in Little Rock, Arkansas. As a protector, you're constantly preparing yourself for those threats. One of the models in our industry is uh, 99% boredom, 1% share unmitigated mitigated terror. We are constantly preparing for that 1%. So with that in mind, no matter where you're at, a good protector is always gonna do his due diligence. We're always gonna do our advanced work. We're always gonna analyze what the risk is. And sometimes, Michael, it's different, you know? In some places, you know, um, uh, it's that we just gotta be worried about over-aggressive fans. It got real to me our first time in Germany because it's like, man, I'm like, oh man, this is great. I'm traveling the world, man, let's go to the show. Law enforcement's coming in. What's going on? We got a bomb threat. Everybody has to evacuate. And Michael, it hit me. I'm like, wow. Wow. There's people who want to harm this dude. There's people that want to do evil things to us. There's people that want to blow up the show. And, Michael, that was like a turning point for me. I, I had begun to start understanding what I was doing, but then I, I took it to a whole new level. I, I was like, man, I'm responsible or I play a part in this man's safety. Hmm. And so to answer your question, bro, from a, a good uh, protector's perspective, you know, it's all the same. Situational awareness is something that I have to practice on a, a daily level. And, and I, I'm married, man. And it drives my wife crazy because, and my kids, because like I tell my kids, you know, we know Dad. if we go to a restaurant, make sure you know where the exit is, you know, make mm-hmm. sure you look at two or three exits, never sit with your back towards the door or window. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always constantly prepared for any situation, you know, tell my daughter, when you're driving, don't be on your phone. I mean, not because of the safety issues, but you never know when someone's going to roll up on your car mm-hmm. and jack you, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Man, this is we're gonna deviate from Prince for a second here, but with your perspective and you know you being a father and you uh, the business and industry that you're in, what do you I'm curious the conversations you probably have with your children and, and your son like how to navigate out here uh, and how to move. Not just because somebody might jack you, but how do you respond, you know, right when you get pulled over or, you know, you don't want to put yourself in these types of situations. Are are you like really trained? Did you like really train your kids in these types of things? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah my kids and my wife and myself. And it okay. all starts because people ask me, it's like, hey, what can I do? What can I do to protect myself? What can I do to protect my families? And I always tell people, Michael, it starts with one simple thing. It's called situational awareness. And Michael, that's really being in tune with our environment. Because, Michael, there's so many indicators out there that things could be bad or they could work out badly for us, but we're just so oblivious to them that we don't pay attention to the signs. There's a guy by the name of Gavin DeBecker. He wrote a book called um, Just 60 Seconds. And he just talks about being in tune with natural cues. And, and like he did a case study of individuals that were attacked. And in almost 100% of them, we have this natural born instinct that tells us when something's wrong or it's not right. But what happens, Michael, too often is we ignore it. I'll give you a great example. Uh, uh, about five years ago, I had an uncle that lives in Houston, Texas, that was shot at a car wash. And, and thank goodness he's still alive to this day. But we talked about what happened. And he said, man, he said, I'm so mad at myself. He says, because having conversations with you and other people, the year, you, there were things that you told me that I didn't pay attention to. And so in his particular situation, it was around dusk, and there was a car that was in the back of this self-serving car wash, just sitting there with these two kids. Now, he's like, I didn't think anything of it. It had the lights off, and I was like, hmm, that's weird. That's awfully peculiar. Hmm. And so he said, I just kept on doing my business. And he said, the next thing I know, I'm involved in a gang initiation thing. Young kid gets out, pop, 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 pop. Jeez five times. And like I said, thankful he made it through, but the lessons that he learned was he said, I knew it didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times was most of us, our bodies will tell us, you know, we, we'll know when something don't feel right. Have you ever had that feeling that the hair on your back comes up, Michael? It's like, oh, yeah. Hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But how often do you brush that off? And so what protectors do, and all of us are protectors in some sense, whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, mm-hmm. whether you're an older brother, we're all protectors and so it's, it's it's beneficial for all of us to to take and use these practices in life and especially Michael considering the time that we're in right now right we' there's some crazy folks out there and there's some crazy things going on And so the first thing that I would tell you or anyone in your in your audience start with this being in tune with your environment it will tell you a lot man. It really will. And will help you get out of some bad situations. And then the next thing you know, you can talk about training and everything like that. But just being observant.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, Now, one of the things going to Brown, Mark, real quick, he talked about in his book. It, it shocked me. But then I realized, like, yeah, he lives in the real world. It seemed like Mark kept one, kept a thing on him. <laughs> and, you know, he was a gun owner, a license, I'm assuming, and all these good stuff. And without delving too much into it, was that something that as a protection uh, has to be on the table? Well, it has to be on the table, but, you know, maybe one of the tools that you had to use or at least have access to, you know, protecting person?
1: Um, It's certainly a tool that we use in this industry. Now, here's what I share with people. It's a tool and it can be an effective tool, but it's not the only one. And so here's the problem with guns, you know, um, when we get to the point where I've used my firearm to protect my client or myself, Michael, guess what? I did something else wrong. Mm. I didn't see other signs. Because remember, that should be a last resort. Because when you, when you have decided that it's necessary for you to take somebody's life, even if it's clean, a clean shooting. There's gonna be consequences, bro. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's gonna be some feedback. I did an article on my website called "The Aftermath of a Shooting," and there's gonna be consequences. You can believe that. Mm. But then there's the old thing too, saying, "I'd rather be uh, what? I'd rather be judged by twelve than carried by six. <laughs> right, so right. you know, you got to weigh it out. But no, uh, a, a firearm is definitely you know a tool that we use in the industry. But the point is, it's only a tool. To me, I think a much better tool is your mouth. And if you've learned how to communicate, there's a book by a guy named Jack Thompson called Verbal Judo. It's because everybody will ask me, what's the best executive protection book out there? And I say, well, here's one that I think that's really good, Verbal Judo. And they look at me because, you know, they're expecting to be how to protect your client in 15 ways or something like that. It really starts with how to communicate with people, how to get yourself out of challenging situations. And I've had to do that over the years a lot. And I've taken myself out of harm's way and I've taken my client out of harm's way. You know, I often is one of the things I tell my kids. or I used to tell them, it's like, be careful because what you say or what comes out of your mouth might take something to a whole new level.
0: Mm-hmm. And so sometimes,
1: yeah. Michael, guess what? It's okay to walk away. You know, it's okay to 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 like, you know, um, you know, just man. I'll share this quick story with you because I think it drives the point home. I was playing basketball when I was a Prince, and I had a cousin that lived in. Um, she lived in Compton. And and this this will touch on situational awareness and being in tune in the environment and being very careful. And so we was playing basketball. And I was pretty aggressive, and I elbowed this dude in the jaw. And uh, he looked at me, and said, "Yo, man, that's a foul, man. You better check yourself." I'm like, Wh- whatever. I'm young. I'm, you know, I'm brash. I'm a, I'm I'm in good shape. You know, like you right. know, I consider myself. I ain't no punk. What what? Oh and then this dude had a couple of his boys and they looked over. And, and the thing I found really interesting at that time, because I was ready to like, okay, let's do this. I ain't scared of your boys. But I remember this mic, it was like 85 degrees is in the middle of summer and all these cats had coats on. Mm. And this one dude gave me the most iciest look ever. And he said, yeah, what's up, dog? What's up? And I was like, nah, man, my bad. I'm cold. Yeah, same Minneapolis. You know, I'm really cold. But see how I controlled my words. And these are the things that you learn in verbal judo. My words could have took things to a whole nother level. And you may not have been interviewing me today, but it was mm. what I said next. I said, nah, man, no problems.
0: Right. So, yeah. Well, we always say back in, you know, you gotta have a strong mouthpiece. That, that was a lot of how we survived out here because not everybody was built to be throwing hands, certainly not throwing yeah. bullets, but we could talk. And, and communicate with each other. And, and like you said, understand, yeah, don't mess with that cat. Yeah. Go ahead and take the L on that. I'm I'm cool. You got right. it play boy, you know, and, you and, go. and go home to your moms and them. So now nah, I definitely hear what you're saying on that. Um, you know, another part I'm wondering about your industry, how do you deal with, like if you're, you're you know, the principal, as you said, the client, what if they start to exhibit, um, you know i don't know if it's self-destructive or maybe they're kind of moving in a way like yeah i'm here to protect you from sort of these external situations and, and be prepared but is there anything in that where you have to maybe like is there something maybe there's something going on with your client that may be destruct destructive and how do you how do you deal with that or do you i'm just curious
1: Man, it's really funny. It sounds like you've been listening to my clubhouse chats. That was one of the questions that somebody asked me last week, and it was, oh, okay. it, it, it was basically dealing with a difficult client was the theme. And 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 all you can do is educate people, and 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 get them to see how. I mean, Michael, we're there for a couple of things, and maybe this will answer your question. Number one, I'm there to protect my client from outside uh, challenges, but also maybe from some inside challenges as well. I got to protect my client from themselves and mm-hmm. also protect me as well too. Mm-hmm. And so we started getting the thing last week in my, my clubhouse, uh, chat is what if your client's doing something that not only it could be detrimental to themselves, but to you, you know, and they're just unwilling to change. And so, you know, what I told the group is sometimes you have to be willing just to walk away. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes that's hard for people to imagine doing that. Um, In essence, at the end, I walked away from Prince. Now, not because Prince was doing something that I had issues with, but it was just time. And you have to be okay with doing that. I mean, there's other things in life that, you know, hopefully for most people, um, then, you know, then a job, you know, I I figure I can always find work somewhere else.
0: Now, you had been with them nine years and I assume that's pretty is that pretty much a 24 hour day to day type of thing? Yeah,
1: I mean, I. You know, I mean, absolutely, but I had help and it was a okay. group of us. And, you know, Prince wasn't, he wasn't somebody that had to have you. I mean, it was like, you know, you talked about the Miko thing, uh, no. uh, about him and Miko getting into the conversation. And, and I didn't know about it until we were at the club. And he sent me and Gilbert over to go talk to Miko and saying that he wanted to talk to him. Um, and so, you know, at Paisley, we, I mean, if we were there, we were doing something else, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, we were him 24 seven the thing that you know we were around the most was when he went to a nightclub, and he frequented them quite a bit and, and and when we were on tour and then we had a security team at his house as well too
0: okay i don't know if you want to speak on it or not was there something that where you decided you know what it's time for me to move on to other things uh, yeah
1: and i will will share that i'm okay with sharing it okay. um i had a a a, a, a newborn Mm-hmm. And to do it <laughs> one of the, one of the things that i I'd see quite often <clears throat> excuse me, I, I need to get some water. Oh, but good. one of the things that I seen quite often when I was on the road, you had these lifers, you know, and, and they would share these horrible stories, Michael, you know about oh man, I haven't seen my son in nine months and mm. we're having all kinds of challenges. My wife said he's doing this and doing that and and to me, I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding you're you're having problems because you're not there. And you know, for most fathers, you know, we look at things from this perspective. It's like, I got to take care of my family. So wow. I'm doing a good thing. But sometimes, you know, we don't realize that all our children, all our significant others' need is for us to be there. And so that wasn't happening with me, man. um yeah. and and story that that put it on, I mean, I was tired, you know, I had been it was a while. And I was just tired, man. I was tired of being away from my wife and my my newborn. And you know, it wasn't fun for me anymore. I mean, you know, staying in hotel rooms and to this day, man, we could be at a five-star hotel. And I'm like, ugh, can we go stay at an Airbnb at a house or something? Because <laughs> that's what I did for nine years of my life. And wow. and so that was my issue. And I remember I was I was supposed to get some uh, some some downtime with my family. And soon as we were dead, um it seems like we had just got back from rock and reel. Uh, a show that he did out okay. in South America, yeah. and and what Prince would do for the winners, he'd stay in L.A. and and at this time, Gilbert, who was my partner in crime, he was the president of Paisley, and um, and, uh, and 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 uh, Dwayne Nelson um, was the one that was working with me. He was my number two, and we had came back, and I went out to Paisley to pick up my check. And he's like, "Hey, man, uh, P wants to go to LA for the the rest of the winter, and he doesn't want anyone else to be out there with him, but you, not even me." Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, kind of, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I said, "Well, wait a minute, man. We just we just got done with this tour, and I ain't had no time to, to see my son or my wife, and now you're telling me I got to get back on the plane." And uh, it was a moment of clarity for me, Michael. I I stood there. You know, I don't know whose office I was in. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I says, as a matter of fact, I'm done. Mm. And Dwayne and said, what do you mean you're done? I said, like, I'm done. He said, I, I don't think you heard me. He said he wants you. I said, I heard you. And it was like, man, a cloud being lifted. I was like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. And I turned around and I walked away. And so Dwayne freaked out. And he went and got Gilbert Davison and Jill Willis. And I remember I'm walking out to the, uh, to the parking lot to go in my car. Gilbert came running out. He said, hey, man, what's what's going on? What do you mean you're done? And I said, I'm done, man. It's been a good ride, you know? And uh, he said, wait, 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 wait. Okay, you need some time out. We can make that happen. And I said, yeah, that would have been nice. But no, I want to be with my son. I want to be with my wife. I want to go to the next phase of my life. So that was it for me.
0: Man, I can respect that, man, because, um, yeah, the time you spend with family, you don't never get that back. Right, and uh, exactly. like you said, you, you, you've been out there nine years and I can imagine it would it, it can get taxing at times. I mean, you, you pretty much is it fair to say you're on a beck and call like, yo we got yeah, not, we're not thing, consulting so. with you. We, we're moving this way now, so let's go. Yeah. You know? and that
1: was the thing like I told you, I had been to Paris, but I hadn't been to Paris, right You know so here I am in all these wonderful places around the world and all, and only thing Michael I seen was you know some room in a mansion, you know and or a hotel room. And then, and quite honestly, I was getting on prince's nerves and he was getting on mine. I mean, when you were really close to him, I don't know, man, it just, he, it was this weird thing where, you know, I, I know we both were like, the stuff that I used to do to that man at the end, I'm like, I can't believe this dude ain't fired me. Uh, and I'll do, I'll, share because it's funny, I'll share one story, you know, is that I just, and I I couldn't tell Prince how I felt. No, I'm not going to do this. But there were things that I would do to be rebellious to let him know that I was pissed, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you remember Don King, right? Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. So I had I had my hair in a, I had a, I had a relaxer in my hair. So what I started doing <laughs> to get all this nerves is I started wearing my hair like Don King. <laughs> so I just started hearing my hair spiked up and he would just look at me, man. And he wouldn't say anything. Well, I'm like, okay, tell me I'm fired. I mean, I guess I wanted to be fired. And he would—he just let it go, and I'm like, dang. So I had this mar- uh, maroon shark, uh, shark skin, double-breasted suit, man. And, and Michael, I wore it every day. And man, I never forget, man, we were driving down Melrose Avenue in uh, Los Angeles, and he told the driver, he said, pull over right here, right now. And we went to this uh, clothing store, it's a men's clothing store called Fred Siegel's. And he gets out of the car, right? He opens up the door because, I, you know, it was unannounced. I don't know what he's doing. He gets out of the car. I'm like, oh, holy crap. So I get out of the car. I'm like, what's going on? He says, just come on. We're going in the store. I'm like, what? Prince don't shop at no Fred. He don't shop at a store. He has his stuff made. <laughs> Man, we go in there. He looks at one of the sales clerks. He says, you come here. And the guy gets this look. Oh, my God, it's Prince. Yes, sir. What can I do? He says, come follow us. And he just goes down this rack. He says, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one Michael, this dude picked me out twelve suits. He says, "Get them measured, and I'm going in the car, and I'll wait for you." Wow. And so he bought me all these suits, man. That was his response because I kept wearing the same one. So he's <laughs> like, "You know, we fixed this problem, so man." But <laughs> we were just doing that. I mean, I was mad, and so he got mad, you know. And, and like I said, all I wanted him to do was like, "Huck, it's good run," you know, because I felt that I couldn't quit at the time because I, I felt I was betraying him.
0: Hmm. You felt like you was was obligated or something. Huh? Do you feel like you were obligated?
1: To yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I, and I think you'll find that that's a trait with most characteristics. Like you said, if you listen to that book with Michael Jackson, i them, remembering the time. It's an awesome book. I, I recommend it to anybody, the yeah. senior artist, and listen, it's great. But, Michael, they weren't even getting paid. And yeah. the question <laughs> I was asking was like, why are you still doing this? Right. And it was because, I mean, Michael, think about this. If somebody's willing to put their life on the line for someone, what does that tell you about them? And they're loyal.
0: For exactly. Sure. For sure. Yeah, I remember that part in the book when they wasn't getting their money. I was like, "Man!" And they was kind of playing with the money too. Some of the other little handlers and stuff. Yeah, like, that's, that was not. That's another.
1: One. You should have somebody on your podcast talking about the politics behind you know oh, these individuals because that's a whole other. That's a whole I can, I can imagine.
0: Well, let me ask you this, and I'll when we're respectful respectful your time too. And you, you just brought up something I think is interesting. Who do, who do you answer to in that? Because I know, you know, it sounded like there was Gilbert there, Dwayne, yourself, Prince. Do you just answer to Prince? And then like like you said, you had to come to Paisley Park to get your check. Like, is that, is there somebody else? Is there managed? I don't know. Did he have management at this time? Oh, absolutely. Okay.
1: That's a great question. And it's, it's an interesting one because um, every case is different. So I had been with Prince for so long that I answered to Prince. Now, Gilbert at the time was my boss. Jill Willis technically was my boss, but I had a direct line to Prince. And so what happens with a lot of protectors in the industry, they have to deal with the personal assistant or management. They don't really get that relationship with the principal. Mm-hmm. And so mine's kind of a unique story. Um, a real quick one, because like you said, I, I do, I am getting close to time here. I probably got about another 15 minutes. Um, but a real, a real story was is that we were, we were um, let's see, was it Italy? Or maybe it was Switzerland. But anyway, Prince wanted to come back to Minneapolis. Long story short, um, I got a private airplane that cost a lot of money. And I remember the accountant snapping on me. Mm-hmm. She called me every name in the book because it was last minute. And he wanted to go home. And it was my job to make it happen. Um, and she went off and I told P he's like okay I'll have a conversation with her and I didn't hear anything else about it after that but I was like what else was, was I supposed to do this dude said he wanted this he wanted to go home right and so but I had a direct line to him and and that's not always the case um I don't know how many other protectors over the years cuz I, I think there were there's been 22 of us And that was one of the things that I talk about on one of my podcasts. There's been 22 protectors that have worked with Prince that, and when I say protectors, because somebody got mad at me, well, I bodyguard Prince at Glam Slam in L.A. one time. I'm like, no, I'm talking about people that actually spent more than two hours in his presence, somebody that was assigned to him 24-7. And so that number's 22, and I I, I was number four. Um, And so with that being said, I had a direct line to him, and that's not, that's not, something that's always like that
0: and I imagine you saw some regime changes if, if we can say that during your time absolutely here. I mean
1: when I started fargnoli Cavallo and Ruffalo were there and then you had mm-hmm. steeple Phillips and their management styles were totally different and and the individuals were totally different so yeah well know. and,
0: and I'm, we're not gonna go into it but I I don't know who I was talking to about this but they talked about when uh was, it, what was his name Albert Magnolia or something Mm-hmm. Did he, he came in sort of was it like after love sex or something and then it was like a whole different group of people or Yeah, and it's I was of of there okay. um
1: you know but Michael here's the thing I mean we'd see these people come and go with all these ideals and stuff like that but mm-hmm. my relationship with Pig was so was so tight that it didn't it, I, I didn't it didn't really phase me what you know, because they couldn't get uh, the only person that could get rid of me was Prince. Even my boss, you know, or like you know, Gilbert at the time, he couldn't do it. He'd have to talk to Prince because that would change, that would have an impact on Prince's life, if, if, if you know what I'm saying. So, right. where's Hucky at? Uh, well, I let Hucky go. Why did you do that?
0: Mm-hmm. Those are the
1: questions that would happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, that's be another that's another podcast for another day. But that's a, that's a fascinating thing, because like, like you said, I can imagine there's a lot of Politics jockeying for position. Who got this person's ear? Are you friends with this person, or no, they don't like them? So, but but man, we'll, it, we'll it, save
1: all. That. It, it really is, and, it, and it's fascinating because that's another side that a lot of people don't talk about. Right. It's not just with P. It's just with anybody in the entertainment industry, man. Mm-hmm. It's. It's vicious, man. And like I said, you know, those are things that I talk about on my show. You know, we talk about, you know, know who signed your checks, because at the end of the day, the one that signs your checks is the decision maker. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Lastly, before we get out, because you mentioned it and I, I want to make a cycle back to it. You, you made mention of some shots fired with Eddie Murphy and Hammer at the club. You, you got to finish that.
1: Yeah, there was a club called Tr- uh, Tramps. I think it was Tramps. It was in the Beverly Center in L.A. And, um, and we was in the club. Eddie Murphy was in there. And Prince and Eddie were really good friends at the time. And this just goes back to what I was talking about, situational awareness. And I was beginning at this time to understand, you know, what executive or close protection was all about. And so I didn't have any formal training at this time, but I had common sense. And so one of the things that I thought about, Michael, is if you're in a nightclub and there's 500 people in there, and there's only one entrance, what happens if something goes wrong? And mm-hmm. so I, I I was a thinker, man, and I gave thought, it's like, we should probably find another exit in the event that something goes wrong. And so that's what I tell my kids all the time, you know, don't go out, don't think about going out the, uh, the way that you came in, because that's what everybody else is going to do. And there was a big incident in Chicago years ago, I think it was a club called the O2 or something like that, But a bunch of people lost their lives because something went down in the club, and every people got trampled because people were trying to get out the get out the get out the the main door. And so, if people would have just realized it's like, wow, let me go out this other door here, then they would have they increased their chances of survival. So anyway, we're in this club called Trumps uh, Tramps in the Beverly Center, and Eddie was in there. And MC Hammer was in there, and uh, somebody started firing shots in the club. And what happens? Everybody tried to go out the front door. We got Prince. We had two-way radios at the time. We got a hold of the limo driver. Uh, told him to meet us around back. We took Prince through the kitchen, got him out of the club, safe and sound. Mm-hmm. This one superstars guys walked them right in front of the uh, the shooter, and they couldn't get out, and it was disastrous. And so, you know, and it goes back to, like I said, those are the things that I I teach to my kids about, you know, being aware of your environment.
0: Wow. All right. All right. Listen, Hucky, man, I so appreciate and thank you for coming on here and sharing some of these stories and just these anecdotes and giving us some good game. And and you gave us some great books to go look up as well so we can go learn something. Um, So I just want you to know, man, we really appreciate you coming on here, man. Um, Two things. Uh, Mention the clubhouse thing you got, but also we didn't even get to get into uh, the PRN alumni. We missed not to even just say the name, but I know you uh, you said you started that as a Facebook page, which I didn't know that. That's fascinating because the way I think of it now is this sort of, you know, very big thing. Um, But quickly, uh, where can people find more about you or get in contact or learn some of these things you got going on?
1: well it just depends on what your interests are if you want to or have any interest in learning more about protecting yourself or your family or something like that i have a website called bodyguard careers and it's really an information resource center to help anyone to get in the field of protection but also too there's a lot of great articles on just being able to protect yourself and so you can always go to the contact page uh, on that i'm on clubhouse and for those of you don't know about clubhouse it's an audio platform that you can learn just about anything you want And the really cool thing about Clubhouse is you can have interactions with some people that you've you've may have followed on other social media sites and have some direct feedback for them. So uh, my handle on on Clubhouse is close protection. Um, So you can find me there and uh, you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn underneath my name.
0: All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, you can definitely find us at podcastjuice.net. Of course, we're here on YouTube and uh, all the popular podcast platforms out there. We thank you so much for listening. As I always say, work it like a job. We'll see you next time. Peace.